Hallelujah. So Matthew 24, we're going to be beginning in verse number five. The Lord was asked what was a sign, what was a sign of the end times or of his return. Now, it's interesting because when the Lord is asked what the sign is, he doesn't give them a sign. Amen. What's interesting is when he's asked for a sign, he says, don't be deceived. Because why? The end times are going to be marked with deception. People are going to be deceived. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who is deceived? It's better off talking to the wall. You can't get through to them because they are believing a lie. That's what a delusion is. And the word of God says that a strong delusion will come on those that love not the truth. That delusion comes from God. Because when people are not desiring the truth, they will end up in a deluded state. So the Lord here is warning people uh, because of the end times deception, uh, what to do. In verse number four, Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And what's interesting about that is that there are many, he says, that will come in his name, saying, I'm Christ. And Christ, in its simplest form, means anointed. You will have a plethora of men and women who stand up and proclaim that they are the anointed people of God, and they will lead God's people astray because God's people are ignorant of his word, and they seek the reward of God more than God himself. They, th they seek the blessing from God more than the blessor who is God. They seek the the trinkets and the things that God can give more than the giver of life itself. And when we set ourselves up to be that carnal in nature and desiring gifts instead of the giver, we are opening ourselves up to be deceived. It is these anointed people who claim this anointing will have a business card that says apostle, prophet, CEO, and evangelist, and telemarketer, and everything else, and they will lead people astray that your safeguard is the word of God under the inspiration of the spirit of God. Amen. Now I said that for a reason because any deceiver will use the word of God. They will misapply it. They will twist it. And I want to show you something today um, about that. Because there are ways that the enemy will manipulate the word of God to bring delusion to God's people. Amen? So here we see that uh, there are many Christ, there's many that are going to say that they're the anointed, and they will deceive many. Okay, they will deceive many, whether we like it or not, whether we lump it or not, whether we appreciate it or not, whether we want it or not, there's going to be many that think that they're following God that are going to be deceived. And so the Lord says in the very next verse, in verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Do you understand that whenever we see wars and rumors of wars, when we see, can I say it like this, chaos in the world, 
when you see upheaval of nations, when you see uh, civil war breaking out, when you see division breaking out in streets and in homes and in nations and in the, the whole world, when you see utter chaos everywhere, it is very easy to be troubled if you do not have peace of God. If you do not know that God is in control, it is easy to be troubled in spirit. Amen? It is easy to get worked up if God is not working in you. You understand? It is easy for us to let ourselves go when, if we don't understand that God is in control and God is holding us. There is, um, there is a, a lot of things going on in the world today, a lot of prophecies going out, a lot of false prophecies going out, a lot of propaganda prophecy going out. But always remember when God moves, he always calls his people to repentance. And if God's people repent, God moves. God always moves when his people turn to him. And when they repent and when they pray and when they cry out, God always has his ear open to those who call on his name. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how dreary it gets, no matter how hopeless it gets, no matter how bad it looks, God's ear is open to the repentant heart. Always. But when we aren't walking with God and when we're not where we need to be with God, it is easy, as you see here, to be troubled to be troubled. Now, this is going to set up what's going to happen in the end times. It's not just happenstance that the Lord Jesus uses this phrase, this troubled, in connection with the end times, because there will come a day when the world is in utter chaos, when people fear for their very life, and they clamor for a semblance of the way things used to be and in a semblance of peace and they will run straight into the arms of the antichrist listen when you listen when you desire when you desire peace and safety more than peace with God, you will open yourself up to the very deception that the Antichrist will bring on this world. Peace and safety is what people will run for because they will be clamoring for stability when the world gets in chaos. Look what the Lord said. When you see these things, be not troubled. In other words, this is coming. In other words, there's coming a time when you will see war everywhere and rumors of war everywhere, whether you like it or not. It's going to be like fireworks bursting everywhere. But in the middle of chaos, God's people shall not be moved. God will have his hand on his people. Just like Jesus says, he was, he, when he looked at Jerusalem, when he was going, he said that he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He wasn't moved to the left or to the right. When, when this time comes and God's people, when everything's going and breaking loose, God will put a, a steadfastness upon his people. But the people that don't know God will be easily they will be easily broken they will have anxiety to the point where they cannot operate they will be running and clamoring for a peace that they cannot have 
because the world is going to be hopeless, it will turn to the Antichrist before it turns to God. Well, turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 8. See, there's a, there is a, a truth that we need to understand. Daniel chapter 8. Everything that God is, listen to this, everything that God is, the devil imitates. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. He even imitates the Holy Spirit. He has false spirits that have moved out from other nations and have invaded the church, things like the kundalini spirit and all these false spirits that have moved out into the world, but he imitates everything that God is. He imitates God's peace. He imitates everything that God is. This is how he deceived Adam and Eve. He said, don't you want to be like God? This was his desire from the beginning. He wanted to be like the Most High. That pride lifted him up. He wanted to be as the Most High. This is one of the root errors and heresies in all of church history. This is how it's so easy to identify them because they want you to be elevated like God. There's only one God. And none of us belong on that throne. Don't let anybody lie to you. But that's the exact lie that happened in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, 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 and Satan deceived them. He said, God knows if you eat of this, you will be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll know it. And they couldn't resist. They couldn't resist. So here we see, like I said, there's the, the, everything that God is, the devil imitates. In other words, he counterfeits. He has a counterfeit spirit. There's a, uh, everything that he does. The, the Antichrist is also a counterfeit. A counterfeit. He's a counterfeit hope. People are going to hope in him. Can you imagine how it's going to be in the day and in the hour when there's wars and rumors of wars all throughout the world and one man rises up with some kind of dark power upon him and he's able to calm the seas. He's able to, he's able to bring the tension down. He's able to bring peace where there was utter chaos, where there was madness. He's able to bring a unification to the world like they've never seen before. It is coming. It is coming. And if you don't have peace with God already, when these things break out, you'll be so troubled, you'll flock to him. Daniel 8, verse number 23, we're going to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture prophetic of the Antichrist. He says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full... A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. That means he's going to have hidden knowledge. He's going to be able to manipulate with his words. There's going to be an evil anointing upon him to manipulate the masses. He's going to be able to speak things that nobody else has ever spoken. He's going to be able to bring reconciliation between different groups. It says in verse 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. 
Now we understand from the book of Revelation chapter 13 that when this beast rises up, it is the dragon, the serpent, the devil that gives power to the Antichrist. We understand that. It's not his own ability. He is completely inhabited by Satan. Completely possessed by the devil. This is the devil incarnate. Now, it says, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully. Isn't Isn't that lovely? He shall destroy wonderfully. That means he'll be able to do whatever he wants to do. He'll be in complete power. You're not going to be able to run and hide between behind your nation flag. He will be able to destroy wonderfully. There's coming a time when nobody on this earth will be able to eat or drink anything without taking his mark. He'll be able to destroy wonderfully and shall prosper. And practice and shall destroy the mighty and holy people. Look at verse 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. That, that right there tells you that, that points to the globalist one world government that the, the globalist elite are trying to establish on the world today. They're, they don't even know, but they're being manipulated by the spirit of the Antichrist. Is, is the devil's dream to have a one-world government. Why? Because eventually, when Jesus rules and reigns, it's only going to be one government. It's going to be on his shoulders. I already told you, he tries to imitate everything that God is. And he knows that the government of God, it is going to be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem on this earth. And the Antichrist, that's the reason he desires a one-world government. And every, every globalist, elitist movement that you see to try to do that, that is, they, they may not even know it, but they are being manipulated by that spirit. Don't be deceived. 1 John chapter 4 tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world today. John, the apostle, said that 2,000 years ago. If you think that the spirit of the Antichrist was at work 2,000 years ago, how much do you think he's at work today? Now, let's, let's finish this verse. He said, through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. There's your satanic pride. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Look, how does he bring destruction? By peace. By peace, he will destroy many. There is a a move in the world today. You can see this in every false religion for peace. Everybody's clamoring for it. Everybody does whatever they can do to try to find some kind of peace by going to a beach somewhere, 
People try to find peace in a bar room. People try to find peace by getting likes on Facebook. People try to find peace through getting a big bank account, through getting the right job, through marrying the right person. They try to find peace any and every way they can. But let me tell you something. If you try and attempt to find peace without having peace with God, you are opening yourself up to the end times deception. Those who desire peace more than peace with God are opening themselves up to this spirit. We have to look within ourselves and make sure that first and foremost, our desire is having peace with God. Don't let yourself lie to yourself. The most important thing that you can do is be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The most important thing you can do for your family is for you to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Give them something to look at. Give them light to see in the darkness. Show them, show them through your own way how God is how you have peace, right? Now, what the Antichrist here uses peace for, what we would call this, is a Trojan horse. If you don't know what that is, that is a, 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 a tactic that the enemy uses to march into something. The people of the world will clamor for peace when there's war everywhere. Think about it. When depression hits and the inflation blows the dollar bill out the window and nobody's able to buy or sell anything and there's wars and rumors of wars everywhere, you might even have people marching in your neighborhood or in your suburb and, and, and creating division and creating chaos. People are going to be running and clamoring for anyone to bring stability. On that day, people will have this danger. This Trojan horse that the Antichrist uses is an illusion of peace. An illusion of peace because he offers peace without God. He offers peace without God. See, every false religion does the same thing. This is one of the things we're going to be getting into in, our, in one of our upcoming Bible studies is things like yoga and New Age. But that's what they do. This is Hinduism. It teaches how to have inner peace. Well, if you're not having peace with God, how are you going to have inner peace? You have an inner peace with something, but it ain't a good something. Amen. It's one thing to have peace, but if you got peace with the devil, that's not good. Amen. And that's exactly what happens when people open themselves up to try to find some kind of stability outside of God. So this, this Trojan horse or this illusion is what we would call a spiritual seduction. The, the, the Antichrist offers a spiritual seduction to those that desire, that desire peace outside of God. Let me show you something in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. What, when, when we're talking about a spiritual seduction, what that means is that people are spiritually being deceived by the devil. That deception is the desire of peace outside of communion with God. You hear me? De the desire of peace outside the, of communion with God. What is that telling us? 
there is a relational aspect to having peace with God. There is a relational aspect to having peace with God. And, and if we're going to operate in the peace that God has for us, there's going to be relationship. Come on. How many times, how many times you hear somebody say, oh, you know, God gives peace, God gives peace, God gives peace, but by their very life, by their very life, they are not at peace with God. Because they don't love God, they don't love God's people, they don't serve God, they just have this in their head. James chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses. He's not going to leave anybody out, right? Adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When people have this figment of in their head, when they have this thing called, well, I have peace, but they are not walking relationally with God through Jesus Christ. They are liars, they are deceivers, and they have been spiritually seduced. You can't have your cake and eat it too on that aspect. You must, look, if you're going to have the peace of God, you must also have peace with God. There is a difference. The peace of God is what everybody wants, but there's a cost to having peace with God. What's the cost? You can no longer be friends with the world. Everybody wants the peace of God. Everybody wants the peace of God. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be joyous. Everybody wants to have calm waters on a hard day. But in order to have the peace of God, you must have peace with God. You see, there is an enmity that God has against the world. That enmity, what that word means is hostility. Come on now. It means there's a hostility between God and the world. Ever since the Garden of Eden, God has had hostility with this world. And not until Jesus Christ comes back, not until he comes back, and not until then will there be an end to the hostility. You see, people today try to pretend like God is no longer in enmity against the world, but I want to show you this is in the New Testament. That's not an Old Testament scripture. God still has, God still has enmity against the world. And when you have quote-unquote believers who think that they have the peace of God, but they are walking hand in hand with the world, they have been deceived and spiritually seduced. We're talking about a relational aspect to having peace with God. This is when we are in communion with God. What does that mean? That means your prayer life. You don't pray because you have to. You pray because you want to. This is a desire, a hunger and thirst for the word of God. The, the El Moody, he said, that's the mark of where you are with the Lord. Do you hunger and thirst for the word of God? 
this communion with God to worship him, to be with other saints. There's a, a, a call upon the church to assemble. Even in the midst of a pandemic, the call to assemble never stopped. There is no caveat. There is no fine print note. There is no parentheses to, to not assemble under certain circumstances. Even if you got to go to jail, you're called to assemble with other believers. You're called to assemble with other believers to glorify God, to give testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to give honor to whom honor is due, to build up and encourage one another and to sing honor and praises to the king. But there is, a, there is a spiritual seduction that you must be aware of that people attempt to have the peace of God, but they don't want to pay the price of having peace with God, that, that price being no longer being friends with the world. Got to say goodbye. There is a hostility. Now, look, you might be thinking, well, you know, I understand enmity. Where have I heard that word before? Yeah, you probably heard it back in Genesis chapter 3, probably over about verse 15, when judgment, the first judgment came upon the earth, and God told the devil, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. Yeah, ever since the beginning of the fall of man, there has been an enmity against God's people. And yet, we just try to void that enmity out and just walk hand in hand with the world and not live like a separated people unto God. God calls his people out from among them, right? To live a separated life for God. And yet, we have this seduction that has entered into the church world that we can hold the world's hand and lift one hand to God at the same time. This is a deception. This is a deception. We must have relational peace with God. This is like someone who desires a gift, but not the giver. See, people want peace of God, but they don't want peace with God. Do you understand the difference? If you have an enemy, if you have an enemy and one day you have peace with the enemy, that's a far different thing. It's a far different thing. And see, the world was at enmity against God. We had rebelled. We had fallen. And we had come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of that glory. We all lived in rebellion to God. Every person that ever lived sinned except for Jesus Christ. And so the whole world has moved in rebellion against a holy God. And God is holy. And in order to possess the peace of God that passes all understanding, as the book of Philippians teaches us, in order to have that, you must first have peace with God. Peace with God. Now let's talk about that peace for a moment in, in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5. Old brother John Owen, who was a, a Puritan back in the day, he said one time, 
that we should abhor the peace of mind which is consistent with any known sin. We should abhor the peace of mind that is consistent with any known sin. You know why? Because when you have open and unrepentant sin in your life or prayerlessness or not being in the word or not assembling with the church, not worshiping God as you should, when we have that in our life, it's sin. And if you can have that in your life and peace of mind, you're in a bad place. Bad place. The devil has seduced you. So we're going to come out of that seduction in Jesus' name. We're going to come out of that because, we're look, God's arms are still open. God's arms are still open. Until the trumpet sounds, he's calling his children home. He's calling the outcast, the downcast, those that are in the dark, those that are bound and afflicted, those that need deliverance. God is still delivering. God's desire today is not to destroy but to save. So, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he said, Apostle Paul says, Therefore, listen to this, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the high mark that the church must get to, and, and those that do not get to this point will open themselves up to being deceived by the Antichrist. Don't kid yourself, we live, in, we live in uncharted territory as a people. We're seeing more prophecy fulfilled in our day and in our generation. We're seeing things converge and come together. And I, no, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know the Lord's coming back this year. Nobody can say that. But I believe we're closer. I believe we're closer and the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. And if there's something in the church world that tries to bring peace, but doesn't bring people to a point where they have this peace relationally with God, it's from the devil. It's from the devil. It's an abomination to desire the peace of God, but not God. It's an abomination to desire the peace of God, but not God himself. He's the prize. Not what he can bring. Yes, he's Jehovah Jireh. Yes, he's Jehovah Shalom. Yes, he's Jehovah Nisi. But the Nisi, the, 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 that's not the prize. Yes, he's my banner of victory. Yes, he's my righteousness. Yes, he's my healing. Yes, he is my peace. Yes, that's who he is. But who he is leads me to him. Amen. This is why it's so important to understand God's desire is to bring you to a place of relationship, to reconcile you, to bring you to where there's no hostility between you and him. All Listen to this. All the hostility that was between you and God, Jesus bore. That verse right there tells you that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's not like God is trying to get you to do something in order to end the hostility. He already did it. 
His desire is to get you to stop holding hands with the world and to cling to Calvary. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is the desire. But look, you know, it's, it's more fashionable and it's a whole lot easier to wear a cross than to bear one. It was one of the things old Leonard Ravenhill used to always say. People all, everybody wants to wear a, a, neck, a cross necklace, but nobody wants to bear a cross. See, Jesus said those that come after him must take up their cross. Those that come after him must take up their cross. That means, look, a cross goes two ways. A cross goes two ways. You come to the end of yourself. Before there's new life, there first must be death. Everybody, everybody wants to have the blessed life, but nobody wants to die to self. In order to be raised to new life, you first have to be put down. You have to identify with the death of Jesus Christ. You have to say, this world has nothing else for me. I'm done with it. I'm letting it go, and I'm giving everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody wants that newness of life. Everybody wants that new spirit. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But who's going to pay that price? Who's going to let go of the hand of the world and identify with the death of Jesus Christ? Everybody wants to wear it. Everybody wants to wear a cross on their necklace or their, put a bumper sticker on their car. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, blah, blah, blah. Never go to church, never worship, never read the Bible, never assemble together with the saints of God, Never get alone with the Lord in his word. Never spend time in the secret place with the Lord. Never seek his face. Never cry out. And yet we think we can have the peace of God but not have peace with God. We are deceived. We are deceived. And so this price of having peace with God was paid by Jesus. Let him have what he purchased. He purchased your peace. He purchased the opportunity for you to have peace with a holy God. He bought it. It cost him. It cost him. Let him have the reward of his suffering. It's not like he just tipped. It's not like he just threw a $20 bill out so that you could have peace. He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He bore our sin and our sorrows. He went to the cross innocently, not for his own self, but because he loved you. Amen. And yet we all, we all try to have peace of God, but not peace with God. Let me show you something in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the, the, the chapter of the Bible that, of the Old Testament that most Jewish people never read. Why? Because their rabbis don't let them. 
It's amazing testimony that you'll see whenever you'll see a Jewish person begin to read Isaiah 53 because you don't even have to say, who do you think it is? They already say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. I watched an incredible testimony one time when a group of people were in Jerusalem and they were witnessing the Jewish people and they asked them, have you ever read Isaiah 53? And the guy just stopped and said, you know, I don't think I ever have. He said, don't you think it's funny that you've never read Isaiah 53? He said, I don't know, I just never was told to read it. And so they read it and he said, I want you to tell me who you think this is talking about. And the guy got about to the fifth or sixth verse and he said, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Because he knew the testimony of the New Testament. And when he knew that and he read this chapter, it opened his eyes and he believed on Jesus Christ. This is the most amazing testimony. Why is it so important? Because this is messianic prophecy. And it's so easy, it's so easy to see this is Jesus. But let me show you something that, that he did here. In, in verse number three, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten, of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by with his stripes we are healed. Look, the chastisement of your peace, the price, the price that was necessary for a sinner to have peace with a holy God was put upon Jesus. The chastisement of our peace, the cost of our peace, that price which was necessary to bring you into a place where you could be reconciled to God was put on him. Why is that important? Because I want you to know there's nothing you can do that will bring you to that place. You have to trust what he did. And, and, and don't be deceived, right? Because if you trust what he did, it will change you. It will change you. It will change you. There is a desire on many people to try to find peace through things like yoga or going to the beach or going to the bar. People try to find peace through their work. People try to find peace through raising a family. People try to find peace through entertainment, maybe through watching the some of those Hollywood elitists on TV or watching some sports game somewhere that your team might win. People try to find peace out in the woods, maybe going hunting or on a boat somewhere. People try to find peace through walking in nature. People always try to find peace, but that's not God's call. You can have, you can hum, and you can say, um, all the way to hell. 
It's not important that you have peace. It's important that you have peace with God. That's the most important thing that we need. It is irresponsible for us to promote peace without telling people they must first have peace with God. Why? Because the Antichrist will destroy with peace. He does not use little trinkets. He doesn't. He uses peace to destroy people. And so you must see this delineation between peace and peace with God. The, now, I don't want to be mistaken because the peace that the world goes after is not true peace. It's a lie. It's like a carrot on a stick. They never actually get it. They just run after it. But that's the lie of the Satan. It is to, it is to promise something that you'll never actually attain. There's coming a day and a time when the Antichrist will come on this earth. And because of all the chaos that's going on, the Bible tells us that there will be a covenant that he makes with many for seven years. In other words, Daniel chapter 9 teaches us that there is a seven-year peace treaty that the nation of Israel signs with all the nations around them and it's going to be orchestrated by the Antichrist. There's going to be so much turmoil, so much chaos, so much unknown, so much fear in the world that people will flock to this Antichrist. And when that happens, when that happens, people will find their peace in him. And he will destroy them. The Bible tells us in Daniel 9, chapter 27, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that the Antichrist will break that covenant in the middle of it. That's at the three and a half year mark. That parallels perfectly with Romans chapter 13 that tells us at, at the three and a half year mark, that's when the abomination of desolation sets up when the Antichrist exalts himself and declares himself to be God and demands that everyone on earth worship him and sets up the mark of the beast requiring people to take his mark in order to eat or drink, to buy or to sell. And those that take that mark will be damned. The Bible never teaches anywhere at any time that anyone who takes the mark will be able to be saved. And, and, and there is mass, masses of people that will flock to this false peace. This false peace comes from a false light. But this false peace is coming from a false spirit that's at work today. Now, I don't know and you don't know that the Antichrist is alive today. I'll say, I don't know and you don't know that the Antichrist is alive today. But I do know, according to the Word of God, under the authority of the Word of God, that his spirit is already at work. And I know what he does. I know that he destroys people with false peace. And the the... Word that I believe God is speaking to the church right now is that we must make sure we have peace with God. Because the delusion is a slippery slope.
If you begin to allow yourself to find refuge outside of refuge with God, you open yourself to that descent into the delusion. The spiritual stupor that is coming upon God's people, it is a delusion because the Bible says that they love not the truth. It's easy. It's easy to tell a lie and get people to smile. But when you tell the truth, it sometimes cuts. The most important thing we can have, though, is the truth. Jesus said about his disciples, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Sometimes it hurts, but it is the truth that will make you free. Sometimes when you believe a lie long enough, you get used to those ropes that have bound you for years. But when the truth comes and it breaks that yoke off of you and it brings deliverance to you, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it gets snotty. Sometimes the tears mess up your makeup. But it's okay because that's how freedom has been given to you. Amen? That's how freedom comes. It is, it is sometimes it hurts, sometimes it comes with a cost. But God always brings healing to those that call on him. He brings reconciliation to those who draw near to him. And, and we see in our world today so many people clamoring for this false peace. The only people lie to you. People, people don't do things like yoga just for exercise. The actual word for it, it says it's, it is to bring union. It is to bring union between body and spirit. Look, there is no union that you should have any part of other than God Almighty. There is no spirit of the world. There is no mother nature. There is none of that kind of stuff that you need to be involved in if it does not come from God Almighty. And yet people run and clamor and do everything they can do to get some kind of semblance of peace, not knowing they're walking right into the trap that the enemy, that the Antichrist has for the end times. He will destroy many through peace. What a, a scary thought for our generation. What a scary thought for our generation. We have a generation of people who, who clamor for peace in anything and everything except for God. Anything and everything except for God. I think D.L. Moody, he said it best, though. He said, you'll never have true peace. You'll never have true peace until you see the cross between you and your sin. That's the only time you'll ever have true peace. Not until then. Till you see the cross stand in between you and your sin. And once you see the cross that stands between you and your sin, you won't want to sin anymore. You won't want to. You won't want to do what cost Jesus. It said the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's what we just read. It was put on him. God required somebody to pay the price for us having enmity with him. What's amazing 
And what captivates the heart of believers all over the world is when we understand that it is a price we can't pay. The, the price was so steep, the enmity was so great between me and God that I couldn't do anything about it. I stepped so deep into sin, I couldn't get myself out. It was put on him. If it didn't get put on him, I would have no hope. If the chastisement of my peace was not placed on him, I would never have peace with God, no matter how many Hail Marys, no matter how many sit-ups, no matter how many offerings, no matter how many jumping jacks I did, I would never have peace with God had Jesus not bore it. And the good news is he did bear it. He did bear it. And, and how, how sickening it must be to the host of heaven to see God's people attempt to have peace, but not through Jesus. I believe it's pretty sad. Leonard Ravenhill, he said one time, you have as much of God as you want. But I also believe that if you truly want not God, you'll have not God. And I believe that's why the Lord allows the enemy to use false peace to destroy people. Because they attempted to have that which Christ paid for. Without relation to him. And we see over and over time and time again the same thing play out throughout the generations and even in in, in the book of first thessalonians it says there's coming a time when people say peace and safety but then sudden destruction there's going to be an hour just like in jeremiah's day all the false prophets were saying peace peace but god said there is no peace not like that. Not till you get right. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah was a, 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 called the weeping prophet, okay? Jeremiah was not popular. Nobody went to church. Nobody clapped. Nobody gave offerings. Nobody said that was awesome. Nobody said hallelujah. He's called the weeping prophet because nobody listened. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 6, you'll see the heart of his message. Turn back to the old path. Listen, Jeremiah was calling them to go back to the old path. This is thousands of years ago. How much more us? How much more to, to us sophisticated folks? need to get back on our faces and weep before God and get back to that old path. Let that old gospel flow and that old Holy Ghost begin to move in our churches and in our families and in our nation once again. How much more do you and I need to get back on those old paths and cry out to a holy God, Lord, move this off of our nation. Let this deception and hardness leave. Oh God, we are hard-hearted, Lord. Break that off of us. 
But Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he wept and he cried out. And God's promise was if his people would turn, he would heal. If they would get back on that old path, God would move. But throughout Jeremiah's life, nobody listened. All the prophets of Israel said, peace, peace. They even threw Jeremiah in a ditch. They threw him in prison. They bound him in fetters. They did everything they could do to stop him from saying, destruction's coming unless we repent. And nobody listened. But I want, I, I want you to hear this. God would have turned had they repented. God always turns his ear to the repentant heart. Always. And the, the main part of this message I want you to get is that peace with God, that is repentance. I don't believe in one-time repentance. I believe repentance is a lifestyle. It is like when you get married. You, get, you don't get married one day. You're married you stay it. You don't repent one day. It is you marrying yourself to God. You repent. You say, no longer me. It's all you. I believe with all my heart, repentance is a lifestyle of never going back to what you once were. And Jeremiah was calling the nation of Israel back to that old path, and none of them came. None of them came. But God would have listened. God would have listened. Our nation faces the same kind of turmoil. The most popular messages today are those messages that are, you can do it. You can do it. You can do what? But what our nation needs is to return to God. Our nation needs to turn back again to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to get to the point where we call on Him as a people. Stop delegating repentance to other people and repent our own selves. It is never more visible than this, uh, this call to have teachers in schools lead our children in prayer knowing that in our homes we don't lead our own children in prayer. It is the height of hypocrisy. And we see it throughout the generations. But if God's people will turn from their wicked ways and repent and pray and call on Jesus, God will hear from heaven and God will bring healing to our land. That is God's promise throughout every generation to whoever his people are. Look, you might, you might, have not, you might be in a place where you've had disfellowship with God the last few years, last decade. Maybe it's been the last month. Maybe it's just been a hard season. Look, today's a new day. Today is the day where you can come back to the Lord and get back to that place where you can have peace and fellowship with God. I want to tell you the good news. The good news is the chastisement of our peace was put on him. Amen. 
Now, it might not, you know, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It cost him something, but it's available to you. The chastisement of our peace, it was put on him. And he did it with joy in his soul. For the joy set before him, he endured that cross. We'll never know. We'll never know how much it cost him, as that old song says. We'll never know how much it cost. It's the Lord of glory. This is the uncreated word of God that became flesh, manifest. John 1.14, he was manifest in the flesh. Never, never being created, always eternally existing in a holy state, coming to this earth to bear our iniquity. And we have the audacity, we have the audacity to attempt to possess peace without peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, that we, we are justified by faith, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't God good to us? Isn't God good to us? Amen.